Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Basement Talk Podcast. Ed Birdsell, joined by Jake Simone. A loaded, loaded show for you today. Of course, if you listened to last week's podcast, you heard the offensive prospects. This week, it is the defensive prospects. So if you haven't listened to last week's podcast where you would get your household names, such as Devonta Smith, such as Justin Fields, such as Zach Wilson, Jake's favorite boy, the apple of his eye, go listen to last week's podcast and then come back and listen to the defensive prospects. So without further ado, Jake, say hello to your people. What's going on, folks? It's uh, just another day at the office here for the Basement Talk podcast, ready to talk more about the NFL draft. Best time of the year. Let's let's get into it, my man. Yes, let's do it. So, of course, like I mentioned, we're doing defensive prospects. We do have one quick question. We will get to that in just a little while. But first, of course, Jake, it is how we start every single Basement Talk podcast. Deep sleeper, sir. My deep sleeper, we have to definitely have a conversation. A little bit off topic, but certainly something we need to talk about is my deep sleeper this week is Jake Paul. Mm. My deep sleeper is Jake Paul because he, you could say what you want about him as a fighter and as uh, a person, whether you're a fan of his personality or not, but the one, there's two things you cannot say about Jake Paul. Number one, you can't say he's not a real fighter. He's a real fighter. He, he, he's a real fighter. You know, he's not, a, you could not a very good fighter. Two and two don't have to be true. You don't he, you don't have to be a really good fighter or even a good fighter, an average fight. You could be a bad fighter, but the key word there is fighter. He's a real fighter. Like, there's no other way around that for me. He proved he's a real fighter, and that's that. And my second thing is the man is an absolute marketing genius. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. He is doing everything properly for him he is doing everything to get maximum value and he's going to keep doing it because people are going to pay people will talk about him that's all he's in for and that's that and I think that's where people need to just draw the line in the sand with him and stop getting all worked up over everything because he's saying all that he says just for your reactions because you want to tune in to see him get knocked on his ass by somebody but the beauty of what he's doing is he's picking opponents where he's going to knock them on their ass in a quick couple of seconds, less than a round, because they don't belong in the ring with him. And it's plain and simple. So marketing genius, and he's a real fighter. Not a very good one, but he's a, he's a fighter. Listen, you could talk about how obnoxious he is. You could talk about what a scumbag he is. But the one thing that he most certainly is as well is, like you said, he's a marketing genius. He knows that people hate him. He knows that he is just a lightning bolt for attention. And, you know, people really do think that he's a fucking joke, but he he's no joke. I mean, listen, Ben Askren is is not a slouch. People will say, you know, whatever they want to say. But yeah, he got knocked on his ass. He got knocked on his ass. And to be fair, also, I have never seen someone just so happy to be knocked down on their ass because now Ben Askren can walk away with a nice payday. Well, Jake, Ben Askren, um, he's another one that I guess he's a fighter. He's He has accomplishments, but Jake Paul knew exactly what he was doing there. He was picking a guy that was not going to train and take this seriously. He wanted a payday. And Ben Askren, 
does not have good hands at all. He's a wrestler. Okay. Right. Yep. Um, but to back up the point I made before about Jake Paul, Ben Askren has taken shots from one of my favorite combat sports personalities ever, Robbie Lawler. Okay. Ruthless Robbie Lawler is no, like he is arguably, I don't know about on the UFC Mount Rushmore, but in his day when he would knock people out, like they were out unconscious. Like, yeah. It, so if you're hanging with him for five rounds, like, okay, you have some pedigree there. So uh, people just coming out and saying Jake Paul, yes, he to me, he's a joke of a fighter, but he's a fighter. Like, he's brutal, dude. If he fought anybody, like, he's calling out Daniel Cormier. Dude, Daniel Cormier would kill that guy. He would kill him. Uh, would kill that guy. Like, he's calling out M- McGregor. He's calling out Diet. All these guys would kill him, all right? Yeah. Even Tyron Woodley, who um, – is close to being the favorite to be his next fight. I think it's a great idea if you're Tyron to take that fight. Um, you know, Tyron's done in the UFC. I don't think he has any fights left on his deal. He's probably off the roster. He's lost four straight. Hasn't won a round. Um, and about like 30 straight rounds. Okay, he's done. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He has nothing left to do in mixed martial arts. So, yeah, if you want to go get yourself a couple million bucks, and Tyron Woodley would absolutely destroy Jake Paul. Like, make no mistake about it. Like, Jake Paul's not beating Tyron Woodley, but Jake Paul's not going to fight Tyron Woodley. He's going to fight another washed up has been. Washed, not even like a washed up has been, just somebody else that's just not a boxer. Like, he's not fighting a true boxer. Why do you think he's calling out all these MMA guys that are wrestlers? Right. He knows right. what and he's they, doing. And, and that's they, what's so genius. And a basketball player, <laughs> Nate Robinson, he knows yeah, exactly it, what to do. And you can't, it's pretty obvious to me. And then you have his brother who might be fighting Floyd Mayweather. He is fighting Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. I thought. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute. It, listen, I don't like him. Like, I'm not saying I like him, but he's a true, he's not a true fighter, but he's a fighter. He's a boxer. He's a pain in the ass, but at the same time, he's smart. Every, everything that he does is very, very, very calculated. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Yeah, and he's and, and just one last thing on him. He's not fighting Dylan Dennis. He's the favorite, I think, right now to fight him. He's not fighting Dylan Dennis because, no number one, Dylan Dennis probably won't beat him because he's another one that's just, you know, ground and pound, you know, on your back, jujitsu, wrestling. Dylan Dennis doesn't box. Like, that's that's not his craft. And number two, McGregor is not letting somebody from his camp going near Jake Paul because he McGregor doesn't want to be – he doesn't want the public saying, oh, go fight Jake Paul, go fight. He doesn't want that fight because not that he wouldn't win. He just doesn't want to lose the respect of everybody. He would lose a lot of respect. All right. right. If you're like Daniel Cormier, he would kill that dude. Mm-hmm. He would lose respect, though, because it's like he's selling out for a paycheck. And correct. though I don't think McGregor cares that much, but I do think he would care about that. I think his mixed martial arts reputation would definitely be, you know, tainted. A little bit and I think he cares a lot about that like it's not like you're going to box Floyd Mayweather again all right that's understandable one of the best boxers of all time like you're a big star somebody that big is not giving into a kid on YouTube so Dylan Dennis will not go near um Jake Paul I'm pretty sure on that so I have two I'm gonna hit on one quick and I'm gonna go to my legit one um my first one really quick the New York Knicks how could they not be yeah. eight in a row longest win streak in seven years I mean, wow. Wow. The the feel good, the feel good environment is back, baby. Yeah, until you run into uh one of the big bads in the playoffs like that other team in New York. Hey, you know what? 
I I would make a case with the way that these Knicks no, play de- play defense. Yeah, okay. Hey, 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 hey! How hey. many how many how many times the Nets beat uh, the Knicks beat the Nets this year without hey, the hey. Big Three playing in any of the games? I just want oh, to yeah. see your That's team right. take us on in a seven game series. Now, oh, if you're but, but if in your five games, three, they, they didn't win any of them. Now, if your big if your big three are all there, they are. It, it's it's game set match. It's yeah, game it's, set it's match. a sweep. It, a sweep like the Knicks will but, not no shot, bro. I would I would put money on it. The Knicks would win a game. No. Oh, maybe if the Nets decide to if they're up the Rio, okay, we're gonna take a night off. Maybe they they seem uh, to do that from time to time. Dude, the I Knicks. Would, are, I would put it the Knicks. On. Well, you how much you want to bet the Nets win the series? Well, what, what odds are you giving me? <laughs> you could have whatever odds you want. They're not winning the Knicks. Probably they're not. not. Probably not. But you know so, what? We we see. This is what I don't like about you, Net fans. This is what I don't like. The what, Knicks are finally good again. You have, the, you have LeBron James coming out and saying that basketball. I don't. Is I care what so, that guy says. I don't give a shit what he says, but at least you know there's something that I can agree with him on, where he's saying that basketball is better when the Knicks are good, when there's a tension for all the right reasons for once around the New York Knicks, which I'd be fair play to Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle, Mr. Worldwide West, Leon Rose, all great guys. All we need now is we just need, I don't even think that this team needs two stars. I think with what we have with Julius Randle is fine. If, uh, okay. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I think we need one star in the short term, but then you need to start talking about two stars. Problem is, I don't know what you can go out and get this year in terms of free agency, things like that. There's not much. But then we have next offseason where you have all the big fish. So it's it's just like life is good. Life is good being being a Knicks yeah. fan right now. Yeah, well, you know, the Nets were once upon a time that same exact team. You know, we had a, a cast-off lottery pick, D'Angelo Russell, having a career year, took the Nets to the playoffs, put up a decent fight against the Sixers at the time. And then the Nets are like, okay, life's not about feeling good and not winning. We want to be in first place. And the Knicks, they have an interesting decision to make. Julius Randle is going to make a lot of money sometime soon. The Nets told D'Angelo Russell, hey, <laughs> you know, we appreciate all you did, but you see the guys that want to come play for us. So you know, those feel-good Knicks might not last for a long time. You have to build the reputation that you're actually working towards something, and that's what this is. Because you now have you have star players that'll be able to say, "Oh, okay, look at what Worldwide West, Leon Rose, Tom Thibodeau are building with this current crop of I don't even I don't even want to say established players. I'll go with." young players i'll go with bit part role players on potential championship teams i mean you wouldn't have reggie bullock playing 20 25 minutes a night on the nets but he's getting a featured role with the knicks and his three-point shooting has been lights out so that's been something julius randall has been a completely transformed player this year i don't know what tom thibodeau has done with him but i mean you you, you can make a case that Julius Randle should be at least in the conversation for league MVP with the way, know. with the way, with the way that he's played. Uh, the season's longer than a month, man. Like why? Cause everybody's hurt. Like I get it with the way that he, well, he, the best, the best form 
of showing that you can at least be in the conversation. I'm not saying he should win it. I'm not even going there, but I'm just saying that he should be in the conversation. He's the most of, improved player that I give. Oh, for sure. For sure. There's like, there's nobody even close, but in terms of being in the conversation for league MVP, he, he, he should be there. He should be yeah. in that conversation. Um, I've seen the Knicks crash and burn before. They they once upon a time they won they won fifty four games with Carmelo Anthony. Everybody's feeling great, and it's a different team. It's a different oh, okay. team. Oh, number yeah. one number one defensive team in the NBA. Yeah, that, listen that that's that's very well good at all, but it's a stars league, my friend. Yeah, well, I I just hope we get to see your star your three stars on the court at one time. The Nets are a very calculated team. Um, not for one second do I believe James Harden is legitimately hurt. Um, Kevin Durant will be back tomorrow night. Um, yes. From what I heard, it was just yep. got a, just an unfortunate injury. You know, knee to the thigh. It happens in the, the trenches of battle, which is the NBA. Um, so, no, I'm not worried at all. Like, you know, we have Joe Harris shooting it the way he is. Bruce Brown. I do. I am a little upset. Lamarcus Aldridge retired, but it is what it is. Not yeah, many teams. Sad. Could, not many teams, yeah, not many teams could just say, hey, DeAndre Jordan, like you get your spot back. Like DeAndre yeah. Jordan was in a rotation. But no, the Knicks are a good little story. And um, basketball you know, is better when the Knicks are good. That's the truth. I personally don't give a shit. Well, clearly not. Clearly no. not. But New York is a Knicks town. Absolutely. New York, is, New York is a Knicks town. But guess what, man? I don't care what. Uh, I don't want to curse too badly on here. But oh, you can. You this, know, this is this this is a free form podcast. You can but, say what you want. I don't really give a shit about being a town or what other bullshit there is out there. I want to be the best team in the league, not in a town. And I think when we're fully healthy, I'll take our dogs and go up against anybody. Now, my second deep sleeper, my legit, my legit one, um, Adam and I did a podcast on this this week. It was an emergency podcast. We spent about an hour talking about the uh, European Super League, which was basically a huge threat to European football as we knew it. And that disbanded within about 48 hours. Uh, and I just basically want to come on and say a big, big, big thank you to everybody that was relentless on Twitter, relentless on the airwaves, on TV, everything like that to get these owners' attentions and finally get their senses together and realize that this was not going to to fly. So... Uh, fair play to all the fans of uh, of European football for uh, for getting that together, and of course to the Glazers, to the Henrys, to the Cronkies, to Roman Abramovich, Sheikh Mansour, Daniel Levy, Florentino Perez, Joan Laporta, Stephen Zhang. I'm forgetting the rest off the top of my head. You all can go fuck yourselves. You all can go fuck yourselves and Cronky out. I I said. On every podcast that I do, I will be saying Cronky out somewhere in the podcast from now until he is finally out of Arsenal. Here we are. Cronky out. Fuck you, Stan. Big ups. Yeah, I might be coming over to soccer soon if uh, McGregor buys Manchester United. Sent that a little tweet today. I, I, I Not did today, s- yesterday, I think it was. But Yeah, I did. I did see that. Might um, have to become a fan. <laughs> well, right. I I also know that right now there is at least for at least for Arsenal there is a uh, a fan meeting that's being held with Josh Kroenke, who is the son of Stan, and apparently it is on fire. 
that there are people that are just going after Josh. They're going after Stan, and it is ugly. And there's a huge protest that's planned he, outside of Arsenal the Stadium tomorrow. They so are the owners of Arsenal, yeah. Okay, what about Manchester United, though? The Glazers, who own the Tampa they, Bay Buccaneers. Are they being like sold, or what, why is McGregor saying he's going to buy them? There's big pressure on the Glazers because they were a part of this European Super League, which was threatening to basically gotcha. fuck up the entire pyramid. And it's it's a much deeper discussion, but basically nobody wanted it. Everyone knew it was coming. Everyone knew it was just a big money grab. And it's basically everyone just saying, you know what, fuck this. We've had enough. So now it's everyone that has – every club that has an American owner, like Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, the fans are in full-on revolt. Gotcha. Wow. Which, is why, which is why now well. you have – McGregor looking to buy Manchester United. I don't know anybody that's looking to buy Liverpool because I don't know if Liverpool is going to actually sell. But then you have the uh, the richest man in Africa who wants to buy Arsenal. And Stan Kroenke, I think, is worth eight billion. Nah, it must be nice. Well, Connor, well, if you, if uh, Manchester United doesn't work out, come buy those New York Jets, man. Come, <laughs> come buy them. Well, the the richest man from Africa is worth in the high 11s worth that's like 11.7 billion i know gary v wants to own a team one day that's that's what he's been saying he's big you know i grew up a big jets fan i wonder if he i don't know i feel like a soccer franchise is a lot more valuable than a american football franchise but i, I could just be talking out of my ass um i think it depends it depends on what he would buy if i mean if you're talking about a premier league team it's gonna be it's expensive but, you know, if you're talking lower leagues, like I know there was a whole group of Manchester United former players that bought Salford City. And they bought that for relatively nothing compared to what a big-time Premier League club would be. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a real thing until you uh, mentioned it. So, must be. Well, what can I say? I, I, I am here to educate. <laughs> thank you. I, I'm here to educate the masses. So, uh, yes, thank you to everyone who openly supported destroying the Super League. But the job is not done. Get the Glazers out. Get the Henrys out. Get the Cronkies out. Let's get our teams back. Most importantly, we need to work together. Most important thing. Okay. Let's go to the defensive prospects. And we have a one quick question here. And this one comes from Jeff. And Jeff says, guys, outside of your top five overall defensive prospects, which, okay, fair enough. Who is your favorite defensive prospect in this draft? Perhaps one that no one really knows about. Hmm. I know mine. I know mine, but I, I, I'm afraid you might say it. Then say it first. I don't want to steal your Jalen Phillips. Well, outside of my top five, outside of my top five, Jalen Phillips is not a top five overall defensive prospect for me. Oh, okay. No, that that's not the case for me. Um, Jalen Phillips is very in my top five. For me, I'm going to go a little bit more outside the box here on this one. My favorite. Now, it's not like highest ranked like my sixth player, so it could just be my favorite player that I watched and think is going to be a great, great pro. Yep. Mm-hmm. My guy was Jabril Cox. I really like... I feel like overall, if, you know, coming from North Dakota State, a smaller school than going to the SEC, that's a very big jump, 
especially for a linebacker. The brand of football is night and day in the SEC than uh, North Dakota State. So you saw in the beginning, you know, we'll talk about this more when we get into our linebackers, that there was a little bit of business decisions being made in the beginning of the year, his overall physicality, a little bit of hesitation. But as he got his feet wet in the SEC, this man's sideline to sideline was just like a freaking uh, lightning bolt, just making always around the football. You know, he doesn't have that elite speed, that second gear that maybe in coverage could be exposed a little bit. But make no mistake, as a blitzer in the run game, covering maybe those tight ends as opposed to those like slot type receivers, those fast, smaller guys, those guys might give him a problem. But Jabril Cox, to me, could develop into a a really stout three-down linebacker, particularly in a 4-3 scheme. I I loved watching him and the overall progression and I think he's going to make a team really, really happy. This is a really good class for inside linebackers for me. Yes, Definitely excited to talk about that group. Yes, it is, especially, especially if you're looking for a linebacker that can really play sideline to sideline. This is this is the draft for that. Yeah, These are absolutely. a lot of fast, big, hard-hitting linebackers in, in this draft. It's actually, I would probably say in the last couple of years, this has probably been one of the strongest inside linebacker classes that we've had. Yeah, no, no doubt. It, it could be a little top-heavy. Um, in terms of just coverage, I would say, well, we'll get into that more when we talk about it, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, there's definitely a lot of room for growth with these guys. And, um, I think we're going to talk about this group as, uh, you know, making multiple pro bowls, maybe even a guy or two being a perennial all pro type guy. This is a, a good class. And last year was kind of a, a lackluster inside oh, linebacker best. class. They at struggled best. mightily. Yeah. Um, their rookie years might have been due to the compromised offseason, but this is uh, night and day from last year's class. So uh, I'm excited for that group. Definitely one of the more exciting groups we'll talk about. Yes, let's just jump right into this, shall we? Let's go into talking about the defensive ed, def- defensive ends. There we go. The edge defenders. And it, it, when I look at this class, I, I kind of see this class potentially being one of the best edge rushing classes maybe ever we could be saying that in a couple years time i truly believe that i think top to bottom you could be getting some really 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 good edge defenders coming out of this class yes and no um to me i saw a lot more solid than high level elite traits if that makes sense like there is no chase young to me in this class like Mm -hmm. i think jalen phillips would probably be the closest to chase young and then my number two to number five guys and so on are not in that same level of pass rusher just being a pure pass rusher um you know it's tough it's tough analyzing uh edge rushers in college football because it's like hey are you beating uh, you know, a guy that's over 300 pounds that could be playing in the NFL next year or even breaking a camp, or are you beating just running over that small tight end that's really a receiver out there trying to chip block you and just has no business blocking somebody of your size, length, and, uh, you know, twitchiness. And twitch is a big thing for me with edge rushers. Like, you need to have really good hand speed for me. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, a lot of people get caught up with, well, he has long arms. It's not all about that hand speed and hand placement to me is, is a big thing on offensive tackles less than, you know, just plowing over a tight end that you're way bigger than. So that that's uh, the number one thing I look for when uh, doing my rankings. 
I agree with everything you just said, and I'll add one more thing to that. I would even say the number one thing that I look for also is having more than one move. Because yeah, after yeah. after a while, if an offensive tackle is, is going to come up against you, say say it is um, say it's Quitty Pay. Let let let's just say, and Quitty Pay only has one move. Guess what? That offensive tackle is going to figure out. Okay, this guy is trying to just do a little spin. I have to protect myself from it. And after a while, you know, you get burned once or twice. That offensive tackle is going to say, "Okay, I'm anticipating this spin. I'm anticipating a little little arm juke, whatever." And I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Odds are that offensive tackle is going to figure out the move after a while. Yeah. I'll counter you with this though. Sure. Yes. And no to that argument too. Um, I feel like that is something that could be coached and developed more at the next level. Whereas you can't teach, you know, just pure acceleration and speed off the edge. That's just something you're naturally born with. And, um, you know, your overall hand agility, that's just something that you naturally have as a pass rusher. Whereas, you know, there's obviously some guys with better technique, but they don't have the athletic measurables that maybe a guy higher on my list has. So that's a big thing for me. And um, I know we, we have a lot to get into, but don't pay attention too much to sacks like that. I will get all into that when I go over my rankings, like, oh, this guy had a lot of sacks. This guy didn't have x amount of sacks like we'll we'll get into that more but sacks and stats to me aren't as big of a uh end all be all for me when i uh rank my guys so yeah coaching and just project the draft is a whole projection so to me i kind of project these guys more than what they are right now so i hope that cleared it up Uh, jake i I mean i agree with you i mean one of my top edge rushing, rushing prospects in this class, Jason Owe. He did not have a single sack last year for Penn State. Oh, we're going to talk about him, so you might as well just get on I'm into gonna, it. I'm going to buckle up. All right, so um, why don't you give us your uh, your top five? By the way, maybe I should have said this before. Uh, Jake and I, when we do all of these position groups like we did for the offensive prospects, we'll be giving our top five for each position and then going into more of just a general discussion of this uh, this of the groups. In right. General. So, uh, Jake, the yeah. floor is yours, my friend. Go for it. Yeah, so my top five, a little bit of orthodox and some unorthodox. I have Jalen Phillips as my clearing away top edge rusher in this class. My number two guy, Kawiti Pei. My number three guy, Aziz Ojalari. My number four guy is Jason Away, who you just talked about before. And my number five guy, a little bit of a wild card. One of my favorite watches, to be honest with you. I love what he could offer at the next level with some coaching is Peyton Turner out of Houston. I like it. I mean, Pey- Peyton Turner was someone that on film for me really jumped off the page. Yeah, I mean, just very elite. I know I'm not a big length guy, but he has the length. I mean, that's always a bonus. But just the overall athletic twitch that he has coming off the edge, combine that with the length he has and the high motor he has too. Like this guy never seemed to quit for me. And playing at Houston, the, the game that I watched – of him that really stood out to me was against BYU. He gave Brady Christensen some fits. I kept seeing, kept watching that. I go, who the hell is this guy that keeps getting to my guy, Zach Wilson? Like, <laughs> you know, he's, he's in there every play. Yeah. Causing a hurt, like, you know, not every play, obviously, but he's, he's causing a lot of havoc. Like this is a guy that, Hey, teams need to scheme to block this guy at the college level. So 
he he popped off the screen for me. I I I love. I don't know where he's really going to go. Obviously, being to me, he's a round two guy. I would um, think so. I think it's a that's a good shout. So, um, it's going to be it, fit is everything for these guys too. So I, I love Peyton Turner. That's really my uh, my wild card here. Yeah, I I, I love it. I mean, before he got hurt, he had four game stretch there where Peyton Turner was absolutely dominant, and he's someone where if you're if you're into the advanced metrics and you're into combine measurements and things like that, this guy's got a shade over 35 inch arms. I mean, that's just ridiculous for an edge rushing prospect. I mean, he, the thing with him, I think is that he is, he's a little raw, but I think with, with edge rushers, potentially more than any other group of players, you could definitely deal with raw edge rushing prospects. I don't think that really turns a lot of teams off as it would for, let's say, you know, if you have a corner, that's raw. Or if you have a, a, a quarterback, that's, that's raw. You know, I think with edge rushers, you could definitely coach them up pretty quickly. Yeah. It's especially with him. It's like the coaching at BYU at, at Houston is not an NFL staff. And I, I really think this guy might, it might take him a year. Like we saw last year with a lot of the guys like Eater Gross Matos, who went to the Carolina Panthers. I loved coming out of the draft last year. I thought he was going to be a monster. And another guy I loved was AJS Epinesa, who went to the Bills. They just didn't really put it together right away. But this guy to me is like, hey, he's minimum eight sacks. I would say about like eight to 14 sacks. Yeah. Like that's to me, he's just a pure pass rusher. And, uh, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of Yannick Ngakwe a little bit, who plays. Uh, I don't know where do you go this all the Raiders. This all is he's with yeah. now. Mm-hmm. That that was kind of the comparison I had for him. Maybe could stand up, but I think just as an overall four three defensive end, he's just going to absolutely wreak havoc off the edge. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout, Jake. A really, really, really good shout. Uh, my number one, I as well have uh, have Jalen Phillips, and we'll talk more about Jalen Phillips in just a minute. My number two, I also have uh, Quiddy Pay from Michigan. Uh, my number three, I have Aziz Ojolari from the University of Georgia, up the dogs. My number four, I have Jason Owe from Penn State. And then my number five, and this is someone that I've seen ranked as highly as a late first-round pick. I've seen him ranked as a high third-round pick. I'm going with Carlos Basham out of uh, Wake Forest. I really like what I saw with him. Yeah. On, uh, on, on film with that elite explosiveness that I, uh, that I saw from him. So fashion uh, might be my number five, but uh, the obvious one that we both do not have, and this is a great segue into talking about the, uh, the enigma, I guess we can call it of, uh, of Gregory Rousseau. Well, he, according to Drew Rosenhaus, he's a first round pick um, teams told him that, Hey, we're going to draft him in the first round if he's there. I get it and I don't. Uh, I get it. He has – he didn't really test well. Nope. But he does have those really – other than those long arms, I can't think of much that I think, hey, this guy is a day one, not even day two for me. To me, he's more of that day three project pass rusher where you watch him on film, it's like the most unimpressive – like all of his sacks, like not even exaggeration – we're all, oh, okay, the quarterback held on to it for about like 10 seconds and Rousseau got off his guy and blocked the quarterback that was stepping up in the pocket because nobody was open. So 
I just don't see it with him. A lot of people do, like Daniel Jeremiah, who I respect a lot with his draft knowledge and follow him pretty heavily. Loves Rousseau. He thinks he's a mid to late first round first round pick. Like he has him always in the middle of his drafts. So yeah, that's that's um, the common consensus with a lot of people is that they have no, him in like the no. teens to early twenties. Yeah, but a lot of people. Like my good friend, um, gonna join us on the show on Monday, the Jetsway podcast. Good show, check it out. Um, Connor Livesy, he was the first one that really said to me before I started really digging into these edge rushers. He said, This guy is a day three pick, like through and through. I go, Come on, man, everybody has him as you know, a first round pick. Maybe even the some most cases in the beginning of this process, he was the first edge rusher drafted on a lot of boards. So I go, Come on, man, like really? He goes, No, like look into it. And I did, and I go, yeah. Like, you can make the argument that he's the third best edge rusher coming out of Miami. You could argue that Quincy Roche is better than him. So You could make that I'll case. Leave, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it at that for that, for that argument. So I'm, I'm not a Rousseau guy. I mean, what everyone, what everyone kind of goes back to is they look at his tape from two years ago with the 16th sack campaign as, the, as a redshirt freshman but then the opt out and, and everything like that. So you really just have one year's worth of film on Rousseau. And like you said, Jake did not test well. And even with that monster campaign, I, I wasn't really impressed. A lot I of wasn't impressed. Sense. I really wasn't. And, no. you know, Drew Rosenhaus is doing what Drew Rosenhaus has to do. Hyping up his client saying, Oh, he's definitely going to be going in the first round to maybe if there are teams that are on the edge of maybe taking him. But then you have Drew Rosenhaus saying, oh, yeah, I've heard from other teams saying if if he's there, uh, they're going to take him. And, you know, that's that. It's it, it's agent speak. He's doing what he has to do, hyping up his client. And the way I look at that is that is an agent that says that is openly admitting that there is a bit of a doubt as to whether Rousseau is going to be going in the first round as he's trying to hype up his client, try and get teams to grab onto him and say, okay, well, what does, what does team uh, X see in Rousseau and why, why are they thinking about taking him and why are we not, you know, trying to give him more of the, the, the hype and the pomp and the circumstance. Yeah. And a lot of teams picking on that range of 20 to 32, thinking, hey, maybe we can get this guy in the second round, you know, maybe trade up for him. Maybe we get him now to avoid all that because he's being touted higher than maybe a guy that we think is a first-round pick but is being viewed as a second-round pick. So a lot of mind games being played there. I'm really yeah. nervous that he fits the mold for a Robert Sala edge rusher, so I have my concerns there. But um, I, but Robert Sala knows more about edge rushers than you and I do, so I will have to just uh, defer to him on that one. Yeah, back him up if he uh, if he takes me. That, that's the way that I am with a lot of these prospects. Like I know last year, I was on this podcast, the same exact podcast with Adam, and I had said, look, I am not the biggest CD Lamb fan in the world. Um, if you're looking for someone that's going to really you know hype him up, I'm not that guy. But the Cowboys drafted him, and I said, you know what? I understand why they did it, and I'm backing my guy. I, I'm I'm gonna back my guy. I was maybe Mackay Becton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what that's just what we do with with our guys that, that our teams draft. We're gonna back our guys up, whether you or I come on this podcast and say we love them, 
or we don't like them. And I, I know for sure with, with, with you, as I would do the same thing, if the Jets do draft Rousseau, you'll back them up. If the Cowboys were to draft Rousseau, I would back them up because what we do. Yeah, just one last thing on Rousseau. Yeah. The earliest I think he can go is 11 overall to the Giants. Definitely, if the, definitely if the, see the fit. If the Giants keep that pick. They're, they're keep, Dave Gettleman has Dave Gettleman's job is on the line. He's never traded down. The Giants are not trading down. I'll see that to believe it. I think it depends on what's there. Yeah, but anyway, I, I think Rousseau to the Giants makes a lot of sense. Like, I could see that being a Dave Gettleman type guy. I can too. I can too. But then it would give me more of a reason to not like him. So, yeah, yeah. Then, then I'll be able to say, all right, Rousseau wants to go to the Giants guy I don't like. All right, cool. Awesome. And they have a great, they have a great history. I don't know if you, if you, uh, if you recall, they have a great history of drafting guys from Miami. With Mr. Eric yeah. Flowers. Yeah. Miami. It's like, it's like the Bro. Jets when they draft quarterbacks from USC, the Giants just have a great well, history of drafting guys from uh, Miami. Yeah, yeah. But that's anybody from quarterbacks from USC. The, the BYU quarterback chain though is a lot more impressive than the USC quarterback chain. As, oh, as funny yes, as it, it sounds. <laughs> Oh yes, it is. I mean, we have we have a one hundred and sixty million dollar quarterback that was drafted out of BYU, Mister um, Mister Taysom Hill. Everyone's everyone's favorite quarterback. And, well, of course, Steve Young. But I, I and, honestly and I forgot Young, about Taysom yeah. Hill. Fuck Taysom Hill. Fuck Taysom Hill. It's being facetious. Fuck him. Uh, all right. So before we move on to the uh, interiors, um, Jalen Phillips. Why do we love him? Well, first of all, the big thing with him was, to me, he's a top five to ten pick without the medicals. Like, he's got everything. He's got the explosiveness off the line. He's got the elite length. The strength is just really off the charts. Like, he will absolutely ragdoll guys off that line of scrimmage. The burst, that first, with edge rushers, that first step to me says a lot. It sets the entire tone of the play. And his first step is just beyond explosive. He explodes when that ball snapped. And you see it all the time. He's like beating guys into the backfield like like that. I don't know if you heard the snap of my fingers, but Oh, I did. He's I heard it. He's there. Like, so that's so that's a big thing for me. And just his overall awareness to get to the quarterback. It's one of those true sack artists. The the pro comp I have for him, and it's not even a slight at all, is to be honest with you, he's Joey Bosa. That's that's exactly who he reminds me of. That's high praise. That's high praise. I I think if he was in that draft last year and he was healthy, all the medicals checked out, Chase Young, yes, would go first. But I think Jalen Phillips would be right behind him. Like a lot of people would say, yeah, there's Jalen Phillips in this draft too. The medicals for him are a big concern. The love for football is a big concern. But everything from an attribute standpoint and an X's and O standpoint, because he fits any scheme, better in a 4-3 mm-hmm. obviously, but I think he could play – three, four defensive end, no problem. I don't know about standing him up. I feel like that might be a little bit of a waste, but no, I wouldn't um, stand him up. So the medicals are a concern. The love for football. I think that's why he'll drop, but my goodness gracious, somebody, if they hit on him is going to hit big, big, if they hit, well, the thing, if he doesn't hit, it's just because he retires or is always not on the field, right? Something like that. That's, if he's out there and playing, it's not like he's going to get no sacks because this guy is going to absolutely dominate if he's 100% yeah. ready to roll. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've been talking to uh, to a few experts about Phillips, and I've gotten 
answers all over the map. I've heard people who have said that Jalen Phillips should be a top 15 pick. I've heard people who have said Jalen Phillips should not be drafted before round three. Yeah, that's to me, that's that's ludicrous. If it's due to medicals and it's because of the medicals. Okay, yeah, then that's I guess what it is. It is all because of the medicals. He retired once already with the concussion. And you have to question now. He really has Jalen Phillips has one half a season of truly unbelievable tape, but it stands out so much that it's made me say, all right, yeah, I'll put him above. Quitty Pay, who I really like, really like. Me too. I think with him, the biggest question that I have is exactly what I just said before. It is the medicals. It's the commitment. It's what happens if he does take a bump and he's hurt for whatever reason. You know, is there something that's going to hold him back and saying, "Ah, oh, shit," you know, "I'm, I'm, I'm hurt again." You know that that definitely you're playing with a kid's you know uh, psyche a little bit when it comes to yeah. that. So, but physically, physically he, he he's a specimen. Yeah, but to me, if you're a team that edge rusher is such a premium position in this day and age in the NFL, like it's one of the three to four toughest positions to find because they're so hard to scout because the college game is changing so much. If you're a team that can afford to take the gamble. Like if you have two first round picks, I look at the Miami Dolphins. I look at the New York Jets, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You, you can't deny the talent. If that makes sense. Like you could afford to take a swing. Okay. We missed, but we, we, we took a guy that had the ceiling of, of a, a premier pass rusher in this league. So it's not like we reached on a guy that we had rated in the third round and he burned us. You get what I'm saying there? So that's why I think he's a lock to go. I think he's a top 20 pick. Um, I think somebody will take the swing and uh, it just for them, they have to hope uh, their concerns about his love for football and he stays healthy. That's, that's pretty much it. Yep. I, I agree. And he, he, for me is, is that one guy that stood up on, yeah, absolutely. on more than anybody else. Uh, okay. So let's go to the defensive tackles. This is a really, 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 really bad defensive tackle class I have down on my note sheet. That this is probably the lightest class in the entire draft for any position group whatsoever. So there really isn't much to really like zoom in on and, and discuss with this, uh, with this position. Yeah. I mean, I talked about it before. I apologize for all of our listeners. I really didn't do a lot of work on the defensive tackles because, you know, there's not it much. Just, it all seemed very blah, blah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, outside I of Christian Barmore, who I have in the top 20 of my overall board, the next guy that I have after him barely cracks my top 60. Yeah, I have Barmore. I believe it's 29th on my board, so I'm not as high on him as maybe you are. But it's just such a weak class that he's still my number one defensive tackle. The other guy did stick out to me, though, believe it or not. A lot of people are down on is Jay Tufele from USC. I think mm-hmm. there's some potential there with him. Uh, I would, I think he's worth the second round pick. I would say, like, I, I wouldn't bat an eye if a team took a swing on him. There's, there's a lot to like there with his upside. Yeah, there is a lot to like, definitely. Um, so I'll just, give, I'll give my top five here. Uh, Christian Barmore is my number one, as I mentioned before. Uh, Alan McNeil is my number two. 
Milton Williams is my number three. Bobby Brown is my number four. And then at number five, I have Marvin Wilson out of uh, Florida State. Marvin Wilson actually is one of the more um, intriguing prospects for the entire draft. Because if he had declared for last year's draft, he had a real case that he was going to be a borderline round one, round two pick. And then he went back to Florida State and completely cratered his draft value. I have him now just outside, just inside, excuse me, my top 100 overall prospect. So there, there's something there. If you're really looking at something that's going to jump off the page with Marvin Wilson, it really is his film from two years ago. The, the film from last year is just, you should, you should just light that on fire and hopefully nobody will see it. But it's a major, major concern where you're dropping in uh, pro football focus had an overall grade on him in 2019 at a 90.7, whereas in 2020, he was a 67.7. So you have to figure out where that 23 point drop off is coming from with Marvin Wilson. So you didn't have the kid from Washington in your top five, huh? A lot of people nope. like him. Nope, I, I, I did not. Um, I, I'm going to butcher this day, but I'm saying on the spot. It's uh, Levy um, Onwuzuruki, I think is I think is how you say it. Yeah, yeah a lot of That's people. That's why I didn't even bother. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people really, really like him. Um, but I think for me, he kind of translates to being a three technique at, at the next level more than anything else. But he, his tape was a little inconsistent. And that's why it was, I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, didn't really jump off the page uh, for me, but um, I want to talk about Christian Barmore. And I think that's really uh, the guy that we're going to zoom in here. And we're talking about these uh, interior defensive prospects uh, for me, he was inconsistent as can be. Um, but we saw him outside of Quinn and Williams and he was great. So, what do you do if you're a team that doesn't have someone like a Quinn and Williams on your defensive line? Is he going to be the guy that we all saw from two years ago? Or is he going to be the guy we saw from last year who was hot and cold? Yeah. To me, the maturity is definitely um, a little bit of an issue. Like that dog in him, might not be there that I think you really need as a defensive tackle. Like you really need to be that rough rider mean, like think of Aaron Donald. Like that is a mean dude right there. Like you do not fucks with Aaron Donald at all. So that's definitely something that I, that I saw and that I have, ha I have heard um, said about him. So yeah, I would agree with you there. I just think that from a pure measurable and honestly, it might be a product of such a weak class too. why people might have him a little bit higher in on their overall big boards because they don't want to devalue the position that much. Maybe that goes into it. So, uh, yeah, Christian Barmore, it's an interesting note on Barmore. Um, my good friend Nick Spano of U Stadium came out and reported that the Philadelphia Eagles have done a lot of homework on Christian Barmore and are seriously considering him with the 12th overall pick and many teams share the same sentiment as the Eagles and have him as a top 15 player on their board. So um, maybe teams are higher on him than the overall scouting community uh, as a higher first round pick than maybe most rank him as. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I've heard teams that have him as a second round pick 
just because of the inconsistent tape. But then, like you said, Jake, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles drafting him at number 12, you know, it makes sense. You know, they have they have a hole on that defensive line. And and I think it's a great spot for him because you pair him next to Fletcher Cox. That's a really, really good setup for him. I agree. Where you're partnering him up with one of the best interior defensive linemen in the entire National Football League. You put Barmore now on that defensive line. You have an elite presence there like he had in 2019 with Quinn and Williams at Alabama. You know, that's kind of like the formula that I see that could end up working out for uh, for Barmore. So I, I, I like that little bit of reporting there. I, I really do. Yeah, I, I definitely – it kind of raised my eyebrows because Philly has such a need at receiver and corner. Um, but maybe they value Barmore that highly. Potentially they do. Potentially they, they, uh, they definitely do. Um, all right, so, again, not much to talk about with the interior. Um, it's kind of a wash of a position. Uh, you're just kind of hoping that you uh, you take a guy that can uh, can definitely uh, contribute. All right, so let's go to the linebackers. Um, yeah, I think this linebacking group is probably one of the best linebacking groups as we said as we said at the top in recent memory. I think that this group can be really, really, really good. I would say also, I think you may have said this, Jake, uh, before, that I think it could, it definitely can be a little top-heavy. But what you have at the top is a really, really good blend of prospects that can uh, definitely, at least in my opinion, you have two or three guys here that I think you could plug and play week one and they could be ready to go. Yeah, I have. I think I can make a case for all five of my guys. Um, I think so. I, I, I can I make, can make a, case a case for at least four. Yeah, I, I can make a case for all five of mine. Maybe uh, maybe my last guy uh, might need a little bit of molding, but I know a lot of people that are a lot higher on him than uh, maybe I am. So uh, it should be a good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. So hit us with it. Who do you have uh, as your uh, top five uh, right. linebackers for the class? Well, for me, number one, I have Micah Parsons to me. Uh, maybe a little bit of character concerns with him, if you want to call them that. Um, best three down, sideline to sideline linebacker in this draft from all intents and purposes. My number two guy is from the University of Notre Dame, Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa. Um, to me, the best coverage linebacker in this entire draft. Um, just really rare blend of size, speed, and agility. Um, you could even put him in the slot. Uh, to cover slot, slot receivers, he's that rare. Maybe a little bit of a size concern with him. Maybe he needs to bulk up a little bit, but then he might lose a little bit of that speed that makes him such a unique prospect. So I'm um, excited to see where he could go. My next guy is another guy of a similar blend, is Zavin Collins from Tulsa. Really like what I saw from him. To me, uh, we'll, we'll talk about him. I saw a K.J. Wright-type player from the Seattle Seahawks uh, that in that 4-3 Seattle-style defense. I think he's a, a great fit there. My number four guy talked about him at the, talked about him at the top, Jabril Cox. No need to repeat myself. Um, and then my number five guy is Nick Bolton from uh, Missouri. Another guy to me, he just kind of lacks that burst. Um, my pro comparison for him, believe it or not, was one of my favorite players of all time, and that's David Harris of uh, you know the old linebacker for the Jets, the Hitman, because uh, this guy is an absolute tackling machine. There's just a little bit of issues in coverage for me for me not to rank him higher, but this guy is an absolute thumper, especially in the run game. Um, he will have an immediate impact as a run stopper, just needs to develop a little bit more in coverage, but um, just an overall 
a really solid prospect. So I'm excited to hear uh, your rebuttal and uh, your rankings, my friend. So we basically have the same five. The only guy that I do have outside of that five was uh, Bolton. That pretty much, but Bolton's my number six. So you want, you want to hear a funny story? So um, my guy, uh, my good friend and friend of my show, uh, the Jetsway podcast, Connor Livesey, he has Nick Bolton as his number one outside wow. line uh, as his middle linebacker. Number one. I mean, I get why. I, I I get why, and I know I have Bolton at six, but I like him a lot. I like him a lot, a lot, and we could talk more about Bolton uh, in a minute. But um, I have the same top four as you do. So Parsons, Owusu Karamoa, Collins, Cox, and then at number at number five. Instead of Bolton, I have Jamin Davis out of uh, out of Kentucky. A lot of people love him. I do as a well. A lot of people love him. Um, to me, he was number six. Uh, to me, he just needs a little bit more of development. He does have a lot of favorable traits, um, but I kind of went with these guys because I feel like they could play more at a higher level right away. Whereas I feel like with him, it's a little you're kind of projecting. But he's a lot of people's like cup of tea and favorite prospect, so I, well, I'm not down on him. I, well, I'm not knocking I him. I just think it's a really I good class. I can tell you why. I can tell you why. I think if anybody is into the numbers, into the workout numbers again, I mean, this guy had, I believe, that the number was, and and if I'm off base with this, I apologize. I don't have the number right in front of me, but I believe his vertical was like a 42 inch vertical, something along those lines, which he's was a freak. T- which tied the record for. The big, the, the the highest vertical ever set at any pro day by an off-ball linebacker, which is ridiculous. Which I mean, that's that's just you're you're jumping out of the gym, is what you're doing. You're jumping out of the damn gym. Um, I I just think with him, with uh, with Jamin Davis, he really does have all of those tools to be a do-it-all linebacker at uh, at the next level. Um, you know, we, t- we talked about Jabril Cox. We don't need to go into uh, to Cox again, but I think as, as a coverage linebacker, Cox, Cox is your guy. Cox really is your guy. Yeah, there was a little bit of concerns with me in coverage, but he was a solid enough coverage guy for me. Um, just the thing with him is I don't want to get too much into him, but the, the overall hesitancy needs to improve a little bit for him to reach that next level. So what I want to do – now is outside of our top six guys. So I know that uh, you have Davis at six. I have Bolton at six. Outside of that, who would be your seventh linebacker? I have Cameron McCrone from uh, Michigan. All right, I have. Uh, I'm gonna sound. I'm gonna sound like a homer, so I apologize. But I have Pete Werner of uh, of Ohio State. I have Browning ahead of Werner. I, you know, Browning and Werner. It's two different cups of tea. Werner gives you – he's not going to wow you with, with his film, but he's going – he's that do-it-all guy. He does everything very good, but he's not great at any particular thing. Whereas Browning – Browning's real issue for me with what I saw was came in as a five-star recruit at Ohio, at Ohio State, but upon arriving in Columbus – his production, and I guess you could just kind of say he was, he was a liability at times when he was on the field, and he just he just didn't make that huge jump that I think really was expected 
of him with someone that came in with such high expectations. And I think that's the problem that a lot of teams have with him. I don't have Browning as a top 100 prospect for me, but I know there are some teams out there that really like that blend of size and athleticism that he brings to the table. So that's what could potentially put him into that conversation of being a top 100, perhaps even being a top 80 pick. Yeah, no, me being one of them, that that was number one thing. That's uh, your overall scouting report was uh, pretty much to a T of what I had. So, um, yeah, maybe I put a little bit more emphasis on that, um, you know, with those later picks and those mid rounds. Oh, he'll be. I think he'll be a mid a mid round pick, and I think it just comes it for him. It's landing spot. Like I think a great a great fit for him. Like if you're telling me that. Urban Meyer can take him in the fourth round and bring him to Jacksonville. Guy that knows Browning pretty well from Ohio, his Ohio State days. I mean, woof. He's kind of like a Miles Jack too. He, you know, it's very funny that you say that because I, I, I don't think he really screams that on film, but it's kind of the same sort of situation where you have a guy that has such obvious talent that just needs to be coached up. And look at what Miles Jack is now. Miles Jack, you you could make the case for being one of the, at least one of the top twenty five player defensive players in maybe the oh, league. Hundred percent. At, at the very least. At the very least, he's an absolute monster. He yeah he he absolutely is, and and that just comes down to the coaching that he uh, that he got. So you know Jacksonville, we can we could say a lot of different things about Jacksonville, but the one thing that we uh, most certainly cannot say that they are at fault with is they've really brought up a really good player with uh, with Miles Jack. And I think Baron Browning can be something like that, but he has to go to a place where there is a strong support staff around him that can really coach him up. Because if you're talking about raw prospect, you're talking about a guy that basically you're going to have to, I don't want to say rebuild because that's, that's a strong word, but you're definitely going to have to clean him up. That's what Baron Browning is. You're going to have to clean him up big time. Love it. And and there were, I, I will say this also, that uh, there were a lot of times where I was, uh, I've been cursing the name of Baron Browning just because of my affiliations with, uh, with Ohio State. So uh, the difference between him and Werner is, is like, it's like night and day. If you want someone that's clean, but is not going to really wow you, that's Werner. If you're looking for a guy that has all the tools in the world, but just needs someone to help put them together for him, that's Browning. Yeah, that's pretty much how I had it too. So I was kind of looking more about upside there yeah, than yeah. anything else. Jake, absolutely. Browning has the upside versus Werner, but Werner is the guy that's going to be that safety sort of blanket. I look at Werner, believe it or not, and I see like a lesser version of Sean Lee. That's what I kind okay. of say. That kind of player that isn't necessarily great at something, but is just very good at everything and is not going to wow you in terms of his um, – on-field tools, let's say. Good deal. All right, so now we get to go to one of my favorite positions to talk about. I'm so excited to talk about this group, and that is the corners. Um, Jake, I mean, I've basically gone up and down my board at corner, and to include just to just mention five guys was so hard for me to do because I love about seven or eight corners in, in, in this class. Yeah, so do I. So do I, man. Um, I do my rankings a little bit different. Like, I look at just pure, okay, go out there and cover this guy. 
know what I'm saying? It's third and seven. We need to stop here on defense. You know, you're going up against their best receiver right now. You need to go out there and shut him down. And I, I'm looking forward to this conversation because uh, it could. your rankings might be different than mine here. I think this is where we might disagree a little bit. You know, I think if there is one spot where we're going to disagree, I think this is probably the spot where it's uh, so, it's going to happen. Um, so, so go ahead. Go ahead. If you, yeah. want, if you want to give yours first, please, by all means. All right, no, no, no. You can go first. Uh, oh. I've been going first a lot lately, my man. So you, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So at number one, of course, I have uh, Patrick Sertan from the University of Alabama. Number two, I have J.C. Horn. Number three, I have Greg Newsom. Number four, I have Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State. And then number five, I have Caleb Foley. All right, we need we need to have a conversation. Okay, go ahead. Is this based off of what you saw or is all their factors like medicals? What What's going into that? Because it's all of the above. Yeah, Caleb Farley, I'm telling you right now, I, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. He's my number one cornerback. If he's healthy, it's that's it. Really not, it's really not close to me, that's to be it. completely if, honest if, with you. If Caleb Farley is healthy and you're telling me that he is 100% ready to go and there are no medical red flags with him, Number five is going to look like nothing because he should be in that number, number two one. spot in between Sertan and Horn with a real case to be the one B to yeah. Sertan's one A. They up until about a month ago, Sertan and Farley were back to back with no clear winner in that. I mean, I I, I won't spoil you know a, a lot, but in the mock that we are going to record Thursday night. I did take Caleb Farley in a spot. So I'll be talking a lot about Caleb Farley when we do this mock draft. And I love him as a prospect. I absolutely love him. But it's just the medical red flag that kind of just kind of scares me with with uh, with Farley. And, you know, I think people people will then come and say to me, well, if you're scared of the red flag, the injury red flags that come with Phillips, how could you be so scared of what comes with Farley? And, you know, that's a great point. Uh, that, that, that is a great point. So maybe I am underestimating Farley just a little bit, but it's no slight on him that he's number five. Cause I think if you could tell me that he is cleared, ready to go, nothing, no issues there. Yeah. Number five is going to look, is going to look like I'm completely underselling him. Yeah. He, he's number one for me. Like I, I think Sertan is behind him because I don't think Sertan really runs the way Farley does. I think that's a little bit of a concern. You see it with Alabama. They do give their corners a lot of help. Like Dallas, that's a great fit for him. They're trying to run the Dan Quinn Seattle defense where he's not going to be, you know, in press all the time on an island. He's going to have a little bit of help. They're trying to run, you know, the two high safeties. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good fit for Sertan. But in just pure press coverage and really any scheme, I think the only knock I had on Farley was maybe he's a little too overly aggressive to the ball. Because he's this is only his third year playing corner. What we're getting into, he he was a receiver coming to Virginia Tech. So, right. Um, I'll get into my rankings right now. Yeah, um, go for it. It's a little surprise. I have Caleb Farley, um, by a, a pretty significant gap too. To be completely honest with you, like I, I I'm really high on Farley. Um, my number two guy is Patrick Sertan. Uh, no slight on him. I just am really high on Farley. Um, in most years, I think Sertan is the number one guy. Yeah, it's very fair. It's very, very, very fair. 
my number three guy. I told you about him a while ago into this process, and I think you started, you know, watching him a little bit more, warming up to him. That's J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Um, really like him. And then my number four guy is Greg Newsom, another one with a little bit of injury durability issues, but can really cover guys and has pretty good measurables, tested well. So um, excited to see that with him. My number five guy is different than yours. I have Elijah Molden. And let me tell you something. This was a fun watch for me because this guy, you like ball hawks too, man. I do. Like, this guy is a playmaking ball hawk. Like he's a little bit of a, he, he could honestly play safety at the next level. Like it, it would not surprise me, but this guy, man, if you're looking for a defensive backfield difference maker that could make a play that could change a whole game, like Elijah Molden is your man. See, it's very interesting you say that because I had actually written down on my uh, prospect sheet for Elijah Molden. I said, for me, he translates better as a safety at the next level. That's very interesting that you said that. Yeah, no, but, and like I said, I, I look for guys that could straight up, you know, cover a guy, but with Molden, it was just really off the charts where, you know, you could kind of use him as a chess piece of your secondary. And I think that's very valuable. Like to me, I don't want to, you could have ranked him as a safety, but he kind of reminds me a little bit of Honey Badger a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I see like the comparison. Honey Badger, I do. With, more so in the Todd Bowles, Arizona defense and the way he's used in Kansas City, but as a nickelback, like, yeah, the Elijah Molden is going to be a, an immediate impact player for a team. Like, I don't want to keep talking about my team, but Jets, uh, you know, trying to run the Robert Sala Seattle-style San Francisco defense, even for your Cowboys, I think that's a great fit. Yeah, yeah, it could like, definitely be a great fit, especially when they're gonna be, they should be going heavy, dra uh, heavy defensive in this draft. Yeah, and they need about, like, two to three corners. I, I think, yeah, like, if you tell me you're, you're picking Sertan in the first round and – Elijah Molden, who I think I could make a case as first round talent, but I think he's being mocked more in like that early to mid third round type of range. I think if you start your draft off with those two as your defensive anchors in the backfield, wow, that's that's talk about an overhaul. That that's a phenomenal start. So I I, I think what I want to do is, and we talked we talked about Farley, and I just I just want to emphasize one thing with 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 Farley is that the number one thing that I saw with him is that, my Christ, can this kid run? Like, the Freakish. best thing that I saw with him is his makeup speed is off the charts good. Like, off the charts good. And his ball tracking is just incre incredible. He, when the he, ball is in the air, it's like, you know, honestly, I'm not, I don't want to sound like too much of a, a Caleb Farley, you know, rider or anything like that. He reminds me of Darrell Rivas. I'm being dead serious with you. That's the type of player I see with him. I think the number the number one thing again, where where he turns into the into the wide receiver when that ball is up in the air, he turns into the wide receiver. He gets his head on the ball. He makes the catch and he gets the he gets the interception. That's what I really like out of my uh, out of my corners. But um, I want to talk about J.C. Horn. And I, I look, I have no problem talking about this corner class for like an hour <laughs> because there's like, there, there are so many prospects are just oh, all over good. the map, but uh, I want to talk about JC Horn. And if you're looking for a guy that you want to play in press man coverage, that this is your guy. This, this is your guy. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you look at 
the production he had at South Carolina going up against the best receivers in the entire country and Kyle Pitts, the numbers speak for themselves. Like yeah. that, that's all that needs to be said. Maybe the knock on him that a lot of people have is the interceptions, which I know you had the issue with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, interceptions, I guess, are cool and all, but to be in the position to get an interception, what needs to happen? The quarterback might need to think that the guy is open. He might have a window there. True. Whereas with J.C. Horn, he is just going to maul you and suffocate you at that line of scrimmage where that quarterback is not throwing the ball there because that guy is just blanketed. And I yeah, think it, that um, is a real thing. He he allowed last year only eight catches on 24 targets, which is ridiculous. That yeah. he, he's, he's just taking away a side of the field. He's very he, physical at the point of yeah. contact on that. He uses all five yards. Like he's a very he'll put your hands on you. Like he is an NFL corner through yes, and through. He is. Yes, he is. Um I will say though that the interception thing I was big on at the start, but then I really watched him. I really dug into that film after you had told me about JC Horn and said that was a guy that I really need to look at. So the interceptions thing, I'm not really, you know, super like worried about because my God, he takes away the entire side of the field. So, you know, of course he's not going to get those interceptions, but the one thing that I do have, I don't want to say against him because I think that's a little harsh, but the way that college football plays right with the very lax rules and how these referees generally let a lot of hand wrestling and things like that go. He still was flagged a good amount. And that for me, I think that can be coached up. It's not like a massive, massive concern where I'm saying to myself, Oh yeah. You know, JC Horn is a big problem because he's going to draw a lot of penalties. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that, but there was one thing on film that I saw that was a little bit of a concern that that would be that. It's and especially in the NFL where that you breathe on these receivers this day and age, yeah. you're getting flagged. So yeah, that that would be a knock. That was also a knock for me too. Was maybe a little too overly physical at times. Um, discipline does need to be cleaned up at the next level. But if that's my biggest concern, I, uh, I mean, come on, what are we what are we uh, really concerned about here? Yeah, I I, I agree with you, Jake. So uh, before we go on to the safeties, um, we're gonna do the same thing we did for the linebackers. So. Outside of your top five, who is uh, who's a corner that you uh, that you really love? Yeah, for me, it might be a little bit different. I have two guys, if I can mention them both. Yep, I want it. to shout out Paulson Adebo from Stanford is uh, definitely a, a more of a project, but he uh, he he stood out to me to say the least. Like he has a lot to like uh, with that film. Like can play any scheme. Um, the ball skills need a little bit of work. But the speed, size, strength, all that's there for him. And my my guy that just missed out on my top five, Aaron Robinson from UCF. My goodness Very gracious. My goodness gracious. He is he is something else, man. The, the, the assignments they gave to him on a weekly basis. Like, they were playing him. He's more of a slot corner. I look at a team like the Steelers. That's a tremendous fit who just lost Mike Hilton. Like, they were like, okay, you're playing slot. We're not giving you any help over the middle from a safety. No, no, no. We're not doing that. Like, this is your guy. You're guarding him. Good luck. If if he beats you, the guy's probably gone. And sometimes it did happen, but he had no help. It wasn't like, oh, I have this safety over the top. I can't get beat deep. Like, no, no, no. Almost every play, like, he was in the slot guarding that quick, fast, twitchy receiver that you just see get all these 80-yard touchdowns in college because they make one guy miss. So, yeah, 
Like I was really impressed with him. That's very interesting you say that because I do like Aaron Robinson a lot. And I actually think that Aaron Robinson, when you look at his overall numbers and the snaps that he played, the overwhelming majority of his snaps came in press coverage when he was in the slot, which is really, really rare to see. that translates to me. And I think that translates where he could be a very, very good outside corner if you want to try him there. So he does bring that that uh, that versatility if, if a team wants to try him at outside, but at the very least – he is a very, very solid uh, slot corner at the next level. Um, it's very interesting that you said um, Aaron Robinson because I have his UCF teammate, Tay Gowan, and he's someone yeah. that a lot of people don't really know about because of his opt-out from, uh, from 2020. But if you look at his 2019 film, I-, I saw a lot of what I saw with J.C. Horn, much just to a lesser extent, where – he was he graded out as at around eighty point one uh, with his coverage grade, and he only allowed twenty catches from fifty targets. Which you, again, you're basically taking away a whole side of the, a whole side of the field. So uh, Tay Gowan for me is someone that I really, really, really like as my number seven quarterback, uh, cornerback, excuse me. Um, and then of course there's Aaron Robinson there. Uh, as well. I mean, I like both of the UCF corners and I think you, you can, I, I would say Robinson is a bit more versatile, but I think yeah, if you're looking for a guy, that's going to be just a clean prospect while there's some things to work on with him, given he's only a top 70 prospect for me. Uh, Gowan is, uh, is the guy that I think um, that some teams would definitely be looking for. It'll be in it. And he, he'll be an interesting fit for whomever uh, goes and drafts him. Cause I think spot landing spot for him is uh is very, very, very important. All right, so let's go and round out this defensive group with the safeties. And I think the one thing that I saw out of the safety group more than anything else is if you're looking for a ball hawk safety, this this is this is your class. This is your class if you're looking for safeties that could just make plays, record interceptions, uh fumbles, things like that, this is the class. A lot of playmaking safeties here. And a lot of position versatility with these guys, too. Like a a number of guys I'll talk about, you could make a case that they're playing nickel at the next level. Like, that's where they played a lot for their college team because, hey, this guy's too good to be playing off the ball. Like, we need to put him across from somebody else in the slot, somebody that he matches up very well against athletically, and we don't have the personnel for that. So we're going to use him more in the nickel. To me, that's something to evaluate for the next level where playing a more natural free safety position or playing up against the line of scrimmage as a strong safety in the box, creating havoc. Yeah, like there's a lot to like with this class. Absolutely. So, Jake, you want to give give your top five? Yeah, I I do. Go for um, it. My number one guy will be different than yours. I guarantee it. It is Mr. Javon Holland. Javon Holland from Oregon. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that. My number it two is guy. Different. My number two guy is Trayvon Mooring. My number three guy, and this was very close. I could have made the case for him being number one. Believe it or not, his TCU teammate, Ardarius Washington. I'm sure we'll get into him. I have James Wiggins. Medicals are a little bit of a concern, but definitely has the upside there. Um, I think in most years, if everything checked out, like this guy is uh, right up there with the top dogs. 
And then my number five guy is Caden Stearns out of Texas. Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. So I have uh, Trayvon Morig at number one. I do have Elijah Molden at number two, so I did rank him as a as a safety. So that explains why I, I couldn't find him on my sheet for corners. So I did list him as a safety. So there we go. Explains a lot. Um, my number three, I did go for uh, Javon Holland out of Oregon. Number four, I ended up going with Richie Grant, another uh, UCF knight. And then at number five, I did go for Ardarius Washington out of uh, out of Love TCU. Him. I, to me, I, really to me, I had a tough. I to me, I had a tough time. I really wanted to put him over Morg, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, I think I can make a case either way. Like it was a coin flip for me. It was that close. Like, yeah, very well could have been the best safety on that team. The only issue that I think people have with Ardarius Washington, at least from the people I've talked to, is his size. He's, I doubt. I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head what he's listed at, but I doubt that he's listed at more than 180 pounds. I, I yeah, highly, me, highly doubt played it. played so much bigger than his size. Oh, like, that's it. He that's will, what I saw. And he was still hitting people. Like, yeah. he was not afraid of contact. And as a safety in the NFL, you can't be afraid to hit a guy hard over the middle of the field. Like, you can't do that. You can't go, okay, I don't know if I'm going to hit this guy. The ball's coming. No, it's like full. it's like a full-course collision. Same thing with linebacker. A lot of that, what I look for in turn, obviously coverage matters too. And just pure covering a guy because you're not just playing center field every single play. They might have to like for me, Holland could offers a lot of versatility. You can make a case for him being that slot corner too. Yeah. So yeah, you can make the case. Yeah. But yeah, when you're playing that center field ball hawking safety role, like it's go time. They're throwing over the middle of the field. They're throwing that, you know, that little slant drag route to the tight end that's way bigger than you, you got to buckle up your chin strap, a chin strap and hit that guy and don't be afraid of contact. And that's what I saw with Washington that I really liked despite the size. So before we get out of here, I want to do the same thing we did for the corners outside of your top five, Jake, I want to get someone that you absolutely love. Um, I have my guy just ready to go. And that's Jamar Johnson out of Indiana. Uh, and again, this is the definition of a guy just makes makes plays on the ball. I mean, this is my kind of guy that I like. My only issue with him was that uh, his tackling was a little bit inconsistent for me, but in coverage, he was fantastic. But the problem is that when you were up against him one-on-one, he has had some tackling issues, I believe, that he missed. And if I have the number right in front of me, I'm sure – I could find it. Yes. Okay. So out of 49 tackling attempts last year, he missed 13, which that, is not good, which is not yeah. good at all. That was one of my guys too. Um, I would probably say Richie Grant. I thought he was up there. I just don't know if he offers that same versatility that my top guys did offer. Like to me, uh, that was a big thing with me off uh, evaluating these safeties. I think the thing with Richie Grant that I saw was he offers a lot more in run support than he does in pass coverage. Exactly. That too. Yes. That's so. the thing that, that popped off um, right away. Um, but he's experienced. He does not make a lot of mistakes, which is very good. And the, the key word that we've been using for this defensive group versatile, that's Richie Grant. Yeah. For me. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like maybe in terms of like that weak side linebacker role, maybe, but 
I don't know, man, just playing that like overall coverage role. I, I, I don't really see him lining up across from somebody else's fast, small. I don't think he can cover those kind of guys at the next level. So that that's where we disagree there. He's a, t- he's a top 60 prospect for me, Grant. Yeah, I would say he's probably like a top 80 prospect for me. Okay. All right. So around so that range, about, I guess. We have about a half a round difference. But I like the safeties. Yes, absolutely. That, that says yeah. more about the safety class than uh, Richie Grant. Yep. I completely agree with you, uh, with you, Jake. Um, before we go, I just want to get any thoughts, just general thoughts about this uh, this defensive class from you, uh, Jake? Well, obviously, defensive tackle is absolute shit. Um, there's no doubt about that. But I think there's going to be a really strong run on cornerbacks and edge rushers in the first two rounds. I think there will be a lot because with the way the league is going, that very pass-heavy pass offenses – it's more about that everyone's trying to get that next air raid offense going. Like there's not so much more ground and pound, whereas it's not really so much in the trenches anymore in this day and age in the NFL, in my opinion, it's going more towards that college spread out, get everyone in space to kind of game. There's going to be a serious run on corners and edge rushers. Like a guy like Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky, a guy I didn't really talk about. Like he could be to me, he, he makes a case for a first round pick because teams just need corners. Like, that's the way I go. Jake, defensive tackle is not a position that I was really looking to talk about on this podcast. I no, just wanted to talk about bad. it and just get over it. I, I wanted to admit it, but yeah, I, I no, see why we talked about it. I, I I'll admit it. I mean that 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 position group. I mean Jesus Christ. I mean that was oof, that was a doozy. Um, I will say though, I think out of all the defensive groups, corner is one for me that I just absolutely love. Again, like I said before. I have seven or eight corners that I think you could just pop right in the field, bam, day one, and they can be contributing on NFL teams. Edge rusher, I love a lot. I think, you know, when you have a top four of four guys, I think you can automatically see on a football field week one. That's a great sign for me. Uh, safety, I really like a lot. Linebacker, again, good. A lot, a lot of speed with this linebacker class, which I definitely, definitely like. You need. Yeah especially with how the linebacker position is really changing in the National Football League, you need fast linebackers. You know, they're, it's not necessarily being a, a big guy that could just make tackles. You know, you need to be able to keep up with tight ends who are getting bigger, they're getting faster, they're getting stronger, and that is going hand-in-hand hand with these linebackers. They have got to be faster, they've got to be stronger, and they've got to be able to drop back into coverage. That's the, that's the name of the game. That's the art now of the linebacking position in the national football league. So uh, I think overall the, the, the defensive prospects that we, uh, that we highlighted, I think they're all, they're all, they all have the talent that's needed to, uh, to really shine in, uh, in the national football league. And uh, all I know is that uh, next Thursday is going to be one hell of a night for a lot of different reasons. Can't wait. It's like Christmas is coming. It, it really is. We're, we're seven days away at time for recording seven days away. Until Christmas, until Christmas morning, and we will be back on Tuesday, where you will hear the mock draft again. Just a reminder that the mock draft is going to be featured on two different platforms. So picks one to fifteen will be on the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show, 
And then pick 1632 will be on the Basement Talk podcast. Jake and I will be back Wednesday to do a little bit of some last-minute news, some wrapping up, some uh, – we'll do some – are we going to do bold predictions on Wednesday, Jake? Is that what we said? Bold, bold predictions, my man. I'm, bold I'm predictions and basement down. bets to make, uh, make the band some coin. And basement bets will uh, will be will be coming back as well. Make everyone some after uh, a deep sleeper, of course. A little bit of guala, and of course, deep sleeper. Of course, that's death taxes, death sleeper. It's a deep sleeper. That's the way it works. And then uh, Thursday morning, Adam and I will be doing a basement talk podcast fantasy show, uh, doing some last minute news, anything anything like that, and really just putting more of a bold prediction with more just like a fantasy spin on it. And then Friday, Adam and I will be back once again doing a round one wrap up and then a bolt prediction for the rest of the draft. And then once the draft is over Monday morning, you get a podcast from Adam and I uh, wrapping up the draft and, you know, looking at it from more of a fantasy perspective, see who's been helped after this draft and see who has really cratered in terms of fantasy value after the draft. So that's going to be it for Jake and I. Remember, go check out the Basement Talk Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. So for Jake, I'm Bert. Bye-bye.